This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It is BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome to Enterprise Explores. This is the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from headlines down to the bottom line. Today on the show, we will be exploring the economic impact of smart city development to businesses here in Malaysia. What are some initiatives currently being pursued and how the future might look like for smart city development in 2024 and beyond. Now, smart city developments here in Malaysia have been rapidly expanding uh, since the pandemic, as we can notably see with fast-growing cities like Cyberjaya, KL and Johor, just to name a few. And according to uh, Statista, the revenue from smart city developments is aimed to experience a compound annual growth rate of 10.53% between 2024 and 2028, reaching a market volume of around a billion ringgit by 2028. In line with that, the government has also announced the My Smart Wilaya 2030, an elaborate blueprint for smart cities within federal territories. The initiative uh, seeks to leverage digital technologies to enhance education, security, health, environmental quality, and efficient transportation, enhancing residents' overall quality of life. That was a direct quote. With that today, I'll be speaking with Mustafa Kamal, urban planner and founder of architect Mustafa Kamal, and Joanne Carmichael, director of Cities Planning and Design at Arup, on where we are lacking compared to other countries, what's currently being done here in Malaysia to ensure business stability, uh, sustainability, and what is the economic impact of smart city development to enterprises. If you have any thoughts or questions, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number that is 018-789-8899 or of course you can reach out to us on X. We are at BFM Radio. Mustafa, Joanne, thank you for joining me today and welcome to the show. Don't both shout at once. Good afternoon, Richard. Thank it's you. Great to be here. Thank you very much for joining. I'll, I'll try that again. Mustafa, Joanne, welcome to the show. Great to be here. <laughs> Mustafa, Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Mustafa, how are you? Great, great, great. Good. It's a lovely day outside here. You're, you're sat in your car, are you? Yeah, I'm in a car under a tree uh, facing the beautiful mountains of Malaysia and having this uh, Wi-Fi around your rest and service area is wonderful. Oh, you see, now he's got it planned out, right, Joanne? He's, he is. He, we're stuck here in a studio. He's in his car ready to go somewhere. Anyway, enough about that. Uh, thank you very much to the two of you for joining me here on the show, of course. Now, let's just jump straight into things. And I, I think, Joanne, I'll, I'll start off with you. Um, given the projected growth of, of these smart cities that I mentioned earlier on, how do you perceive the role of smart city development in shaping Malaysia's economic landscape over the next few years? Mm. I, I think it's interesting, isn't it? And, and the, the fact that the government has put out this blueprint recently mm. uh, and linked it to people and livability and, uh, and what we need as a nation is really important because they're not just thinking about the tech. When it comes to the smart city developments, I think we have to make sure that we we keep them on that track. There is a tendency with smart city master plans to be very internally focused, to uh, to be led by the tech rather than thinking about the objectives that that tech is trying to achieve. Mm. So I think it's very important that as these developments come to fruition, that government at every level makes sure that those outcomes that they're trying to achieve from the blueprint are actually achieved. Mm. So that, that link between government and master planners and the private sector is extremely important mm. if we're to get the economic benefits. Mm. Mustafa, what do you have to add to that? 
Okay. Um, you see about this smart city thing, right? It's mm. actually an integration of the ICT as well as the IOTs. Yeah. So it's not just about the gadgets that you need to put, but it's about how you use the information that you get from having those uh, be installed in the cities, the data mm-hmm. that you can actually uh, make things better. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, if I were to uh, just jump into the word smart, right? People think smart is about gadgets, <laughs> but actually smart is about an acronym. And that acronym really is talking about systems, which is the sensor. Then you are talking about monitoring whatever data that you collect from the sensor. And then you analyze it to give it better configuration for the people to resolve their problems mm-hmm. so that you don't you don't create back that problem. You know, like for instance, the traffic jam, right? Yes. Every day we are facing with this, even not just traffic jam of cars, but traffic jam at your MRT. We have got a lot of this public transportation, right? So we need to learn and relearn and uh, having smart gadgets is one thing, but we need to have smart people thinking about the gadgets data that they collect in order to resolve our problem. I think I should uh, stop there for a moment, then I think uh, we continue with the discussion. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, we'll, we'll pick up on, on some of the things you mentioned there, but speaking of smart people, um, let's talk about initiatives. Uh, these initiatives have been thrown out by the government and policy has been done. What initiatives do you think are being done in Malaysia to help facilitate more smart cities like Cyberjaya, for example, Mustafa? Yeah. Uh, first of all, uh, just like when uh, our previous Prime Minister did Cyberjaya as part of the overall multimedia super corridor, right? Mm. He set up a governance. There is this build of, uh, how shall I say, a usage. So there will not be any censorship, but there will be free flow information and you know how to do your own censor. Mm. So governance is very important. Then after that, you need to create the... Or economy, because you cannot just have the gadgets, but no economy. It has to generate. So that's what you call monetization, right? Then from there, uh, it will spill down into the living aspect where the humanity, you know, does this help me? Can I, you know, uh, not go to the doctor and I get it from telehealth something like that? So that's the living. Then after that, you talk about environment. So, uh, you know, the environment, how you monitor your air quality, how you monitor your dew, how you monitor your condensation. Then, of course, smart people. These smart people means it's not about the intelligence of the people, but the smart people who knows how to use information for the betterment. Then, apart from just that, you also need mobility. You cannot just stay at home, right? You still need to go out. And because of mobility, last time they were talking about smart transportation. But now... Uh, from 2025 towards 2050, when Malaysia gets into their prosperity index of uh, becoming a most developed and also net zero nation, you need to have an intelligent transportation. That means to say you know where you, what time you need to get out of your home in order to get on time to the transportation terminal. You don't have to wait for 10 minutes, but you know already at a certain number of minutes that thing will come. Mm. And the last part is the infrastructure that supports it. So that digital infrastructure is very, very crucial. So these are all the seven items that uh, I think is the initiative that will have the spurring and increase of uh, smart city uh, accessibility and also uh, livelihood for people in Malaysia. Joanne, what do you have to add to that? 
so Mustafa's not not wrong. All of those things are are important, and the data and the use of that data, and uh, thinking about it from a very holistic perspective. But it is only one element of what makes a future city smart. If if we think about what we want from a city in the future. We want to be in an environment where we can go about our daily business. We can interact as human beings with our families and our friends. We have equal opportunity to employment where we have good healthcare systems, etc. And yes, the data can help us to have systems that allow us to access that better. But we've got to get the fundamentals right as well. And we've got to think about how it all fits together. And when you look at our cities, many cities all over the world, those fundamentals are really still on the journey of getting where they need to be. Um, there's some really interesting examples from the Middle East, if you'd like me to share. I please, spent many please. years in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, there's an example in Dubai of a, a small development, and it is just a development, but it's called itself Sustainable City. Um, and in this, this development, uh, given that it's 50 degrees sometimes, you cannot drive to your house. You must park on the outside of the development, you use an electric vehicle to get to your house. The houses have uh, solar panels and, and are sustainable houses. Um, down the centre of the development is a green space. And in that green space, they have domes that are powered by solar panels that are growing vegetables and fruits, etc. The children in the development get involved in growing those vegetables. When those vegetables come come to fruition they're sold in the in the shop in the development and the money that they get from selling them goes back into the maintenance of the development mm -hmm. and there is an element of social cohesion that occurs for the people that are living there through the children getting involved in this now you can imagine that is a that feels like a very livable environment yeah but it's a small development. Mm, mm. It's miles away from anywhere else. You have to get in your car to actually leave it to go anywhere else in the city. Mm. So whilst we're getting that right in that small little area and people are drawn to it as a result and it's beginning to be replicated, the broader city infrastructure doesn't lend itself to anything more than just that pilot. And I think there's an element in smart cities that we often see is that there's lots of pilots that are created. And then we have this sort of positivity around the pilots without understanding that broader context mm. and, and the, the intended but also the unintended consequences that come from that. So there's, mm. a, there's a complexity because of the systems that exist in the city. Mm. So the data is one piece, but the human interaction and what we're looking for in our lives is also a very important element of, of creating a, a, a large-scale smart city. Okay. We need to take a break here, folks. Uh, uh, of course, you are tuned into the all-new Enterprise Explores. This is the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines down to the bottom line. Of course, we are talking about smart cities here again today. Uh, we're going to take a short break. I'll be back with Mustafa and, of course, uh, Joanne in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned in to BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Big Friendly Macha. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. That was Falls with Total Life Forever. My name is Rich Bradbury. Welcome back to Enterprise Explorers. This is a show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line, of course. We're speaking to Mustafa Kamal, urban planner and founder of Architect Mustafa Kamal, and Joanne Carmichael, Director of Cities Planning and Design at Arup, uh, where we're talking about smart cities, where we are lacking compared to other countries, what's currently being done here in Malaysia to ensure business sustainability, and 
and what's the economic impact of smart city developments to enterprises. And if you want to get in touch and discuss this alongside us, you can get us on our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. That is 018-789-8899. We can get us on X. We're at BFM Radio. Um, Joanne, I just want to come back to you because you, you gave us an example just then, uh, or rather just before the break. Was it Dubai? You were? Yes, that's okay. correct. Uh, so I know you spent uh, quite a bit of time uh, in, on projects in the UK, in India, the Middle East, and Africa, of course. Now, where do we as Malaysia differ from some of these countries when it comes to the development of smart cities? And have you been able, with your eye, been able to uh, identify notable gaps between what we are doing compared to some uh, other countries? Mm. It's a very interesting question, that, actually. I'm trying not to put you too much on the spot. (laughs) Where to start? (laughs) That's the question, isn't it? Um, So from what I've seen elsewhere in the world, um, there are some fundamental things that cities uh, go on a journey with. Mm. Uh, And I think there's two that are are very, very visible to me in the few years that I've been here in Malaysia. One of them is integrated thinking. Um, And and by that, I mean not just from a technical perspective of the private sector, but also across the silos of government. Mm. And and this is something that a lot of places around the world get wrong. And, And it's only when they start to implement things that are very then clearly seen by society as, as being just a little bit incorrect or not working in the city, they realise that actually they need to integrate more and connect more across various government agencies. And I think that Malaysia is still on that journey of doing that. It's interesting when government puts out something that is holistic across sectors, because that's the first stage of that realisation that something has to change, that we have to do things differently. Mm. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is political will. When you're in a city that has a very clear directive from the top, a city like Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed, uh, been in in power for many, many decades, um, well respected within the city and within the region. When he says he wants something, the entire city runs around to achieve that objective. Now, they're in this lucky environment, I guess, in one sense, that that political uh, will doesn't change very often there. When you have a a democracy, an environment where there is change, um, which we've had a lot of in recent years here in Malaysia. To put it mildly. Exactly. (laughs) It's very, very difficult to get the politicians to make a collective view across Mm. various different uh, sectors. Mm. So political will to make hard decisions is even more difficult. Mm. And if you look at KL, there probably needs to be a reallocation of some of this road space, right, Mm. to to buses and to active travel, et cetera, et cetera. That's a very hard political decision because you have to accept that you're going to upset people who are happy in their cars right now Mm. in order for the greater good of the future. Mm. So I think for me, those two things are really important. They're two things that a lot of cities grapple with. And I think that Malaysia is on that journey to develop both Mm. of them. Mustafa, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, I agree with that in the sense that, uh, you know, sometimes you need to get out of your comfort zone in order to achieve something better up the scale. Yeah. So we need to, how should I say, understand that you need to be smart to go to the next level. You cannot be where you are, you know. They call it, you know, uh, like media, right? Just now, while in the car, I was discussing, Mm. you know, People forget that social media, you need to learn to share. So when you share, the news moves. So this is how we also need to do with smart cities. You need to learn to collaborate. You need to understand the idiosyncrasies, other sides of 
the what you call table or the other side of the government hmm. or the other side of the people so to me first foremost well dubai is very lucky they don't just have the political will but they got the money yeah true. so so now what we need to do in malaysia is and it is actually moving in the right direction is the allocation and reallocation of funds as well as brains and also initiative now will have to shift towards the digitification of the city in order for us to have that extra uh, what it call move so aspiration of the human being so we need to understand they call it the masno uh, triangle or the pyramid or no what you want to achieve in life right so then from there i think we can work the technology to work for us and that's why i said the leon is a combination of ICT and IOTs so yeah probably that's my take there uh, you pulled out maslow's hierarchy of needs on a show about urban planning and smart cities well done there mustafa uh, now can you just go back though i mean what do you think um, are, are some of the uh, major challenges that we you know directly need to address here in order to effectively bridge some of the gaps that Joanne was talking about? I mean, it's, it's okay saying, you know, we, we need to be smart, we need to do this. But top of mind, Mustafa, what do you think and what do you see immediately as being the biggest challenges to, to creating effective smart cities? Probably uh, we need to shift the mindset. Mindset is very, very crucial mindset of the young mindset of the seniors mindset of current situation mm. because sometimes when people get too comfortable where they are that's where you don't move and that's why you cannot achieve what you want to achieve okay so in my opinion mindset right I, I, I kind of want to go back as well to to policies and, and regu- regulatory frameworks here Mustafa um, no worries. Yeah, could you shed some light on how recent policies and, and regulatory frameworks in, in have posed challenges to the smart city ecosystem? You know, when we talk about ensuring a sustainable and responsible development. Okay. Um, Malaysia, or rather Malaysia, has been well known being a very regulatory, uh, how should I say, imposing nation because mm. we want... Uh, we we want to be how should I say in control, but somehow uh, there has to be a form of uh, you need to actually let it go. When I say let it go, uh, it has to be uh, in a responsible way. So uh, that's the thing that I was talking about just now. The mindset, you know, at the governmental level, right? Uh, they're afraid that they might lose their grip. They're right. afraid of they might be not able to collect what they could have collected like what they have now. Mm-hmm. But we forget, we forget uh, when the Malaysian government started going paperless, not paperless, paperless, that's already the way that they are actually, uh, how should I say, looking at it to be freedom. That means to say that uh, the the, the, the the government can run without using too much paper. Hmm. And then now, with the advent of COVID, COVID has actually accelerated this sort of uh, understanding. And now you can choose, like me now, right? I don't have to be in the studio with you, hmm. where if I didn't travel, I could go to 
to you with this to studio and uh, we record with you all there mm-hmm. so you know th- we need that freedom and we need freedom with responsibility so to me uh, the challenge is how to let go of that grip but we need to move forward and we need to move forward fast because oh. if we don't move forward fast we may lose we may lose the aging the age over uh, some other cities Joanne, do you have anything to add to that before we uh, jump into a break? Yes, I, I, I think moving forward fast is important, but it would be remiss of us to talk about smart cities without talking about the importance of good design. And I think this is something that fundamentally has to change within Malaysia and many countries, actually. Um, if we are to create environments that we are encouraging children to interact, the elderly, the disabled vulnerable groups to take part in society and contribute to positive economic outcomes, we have to think about good design. We have to enable everybody within society. And there there is a huge conversation currently in those that are working in the built environment all over the world as to how do we do that? How do we transition cities from one place to the next? And I think it's important that we learn from places that do it well. Another example from the Middle East is a place called Mazda in Abu Dhabi. And in Mazda, they've managed to achieve an 11 degree difference in the temperature, the ambient temperature compared to the centre of the city. And they've done it just from good design, from the materials they use, the orientation of the buildings, the use of uh, modern versions of the traditional wind towers. So so drawing on traditional knowledge from some of the indigenous communities within Abu Dhabi um, and using water and nature. Nature is an immensely important part of society. Planetary boundaries are being um, being exceeded uh, every single day, mm. and we we often think about the benefits for us as humans, but we need to think about planetary boundaries as well, mm. and making sure that nature is part of our good design. Mm. So I think I think we can't get hung up on the tech. If we want the economic outcomes, we've got to be inclusive, and by by creating places that are fundamentally from good design, we enable everybody in society. Okay, we need to take another short break. Uh, thanks very much for that, Joanne. Uh, thank you very much, Mustafa. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Of course, you tuned into the all-new Enterprise Explores. This is the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from headlines down to the bottom line. We are talking about smart cities. If you have anything you want to talk to us about, get us via our U-Mobile WhatsApp number. It is 018-789-8899. You can also get us on X. We're at BFM Radio. We'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9. Break from monotony. BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome back to Enterprise Explores. This is the show where we help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. Uh, I've got Mustafa Kamal online. He's the urban planner and founder of Architect Mustafa Kamal. And I'm also joined here in the studio uh, with uh, Joanne Carmichael, Director of Cities Planning and Design at Arup. Um, Now, where are we going to move on to now? Okay. Um, Let's talk a little bit about... um, this projected market value of these smart cities, and it's set to reach US a billion, one, $1 billion US dollars by 2028. Now, what opportunities and challenges does this growth pose to businesses involved in smart city developments, or even to some of these policymakers who are involved in these uh, development projects? Let's start with you, Mustafa. Mustafa, are you there? Can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, one billion. Yes, a billion. 
well, lots of things can be done with one billion if we know and smartly do it. So this is where uh, we need to uh, check the needs. The, the I, I call it the statement of needs. Mm. You know, every country, every country, every city, every region have got their own statement of needs. So there has also not just be the statement of needs. We need to prioritize those needs. You know, uh, if you go to India, the priority of needs may be different for a smart city. So, uh, as opposed to Kuala Lumpur or as opposed to Jakarta for them, uh, or sure. even Dubai. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, um, you know, we cannot we cannot have a blanket. Okay, we have to do this, 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 this. We cannot be prescriptive. This is the problem with some. Uh, how shall I say? Uh, how shall I say? People who promote smart city, you cannot be prescriptive. It has to be on a need basis and this has to be spoken to the ground level people people at the four feet level a lot of things are happening at a thousand feet level or thirty thousand feet level you know but we need to put at a four feet level where i can touch you you can touch me all mm. those things so that we it really really touches the people that's what joanne was talking about early on right mm. we need to you need you need to understand what their really need is you know if for instance their, if they really need it's good health so how do we get that smart uh, city health to people of their concern? Because they really probably have got a good transportation. Hmm. Then later we may come back to transportation or something else. So yeah, that, that that's that's probably how I will look at it. And you know, if even in Malaysia for that matter, I cannot go on the broad stroke. Johor Bahru will be the same need as Kuala Lumpur, or uh, Kuala Lumpur the same need as Miri in Sarawak, yeah. or even to Kota Kinabalu. So I think that's my probably advice to people who want to do smart city. Okay. Thanks for that, Mustafa. Uh, okay, Joanne. Um, a, a billion US dollars. Uh, opportunities, challenges uh, to businesses involved in smart city development? Huge opportunities, of course. Um, I, I think the, the challenge is what we should be thinking about because business will inevitably come in and sell what it has to sell, build what it has to build, right? Um, government needs to keep up with that. And it needs to keep up with the unintended consequences of what happens from all of this tech and all of this activity yeah. and make sure that it's true to the objectives that it that it needs for society. Um, and I think purposeful partnerships with the private sector are really important here. And understanding when new tech is coming into their city, what does it actually mean? What does it mean for the broader ecosystem? There's an interesting example from the UK um, called UK Autodrive. And this was a three-year project, a partnership between the national government as well as the local gov government, uh, many players from the private sector, including car manufacturers, the insurance industry, even involving the police um, and, and the blind community um, to understand how autonomous vehicles might operate. They they did this in Milton Keynes. You might know Milton Keynes. I do. Uh, known for its innovation, right? Um, and they, amongst over, other things. <laughs> amongst other things, yes. Um, and over that three years, they actually put these vehicles on the ground, interacting with humans and looking at the impact um, and learned an awful lot. They learned a lot about cybersecurity. They learned a lot about how the, in, the insurance industry was going to respond to this, mm -hmm. um, how maintenance would work, how the police would respond and how we as society responds, how children and the elderly might respond, where are the benefits, where are the disbenefits, etc. 
And the government was able to learn from the project because they were part of the project. They understood that cybersecurity could be a major threat once you take this from a pilot to something at a national scale. And they were able to get on the front foot with regulatory requirements to make sure that the, the society is kept safe, yeah. uh, that we don't end up with a runaway situation. And I think that's the important element. That's the big challenge that government has here to make sure they're on the front foot. And they've got to be part of the conversation. Those partnerships with the private sector will really really matter. Mm. It's not always the best thing for it to ha just have an entirely top-down approach to these kind of things, mm. because it, that means that you're not collecting the, the right data, perhaps. Absolutely. You know? Okay, final question, just to kind of wrap up today's conversation then. Uh, this is a question posed to the, the both of you. Um, now, we know that Malaysia has unveiled the My Smart Relia 2030, uh, with the focus being on leveraging digital tech to enhance various sectors in the country. We're talking about education, security, health, and some of the ones that you've just been talking about there, Joanne. Um, do you think we're on the right path in, in achieving this, uh, Mustafa, I can give you a couple of minutes before we, we wrap up. Yeah, yeah, actually, we are on the right track uh, in the sense that since the 1980s, the government has been pushing about digital mm. and also computerization. We are. The only thing now is the emphasis where, which area. You know, uh, to me, uh, no, they call, they, they call it... you. The human wants, they want everything, but they need to prioritize. So in my opinion now, uh, what we have at this level, we still need to work, but we need to be uh, progressive. Progressive means we need to look the five, ten years ahead. And probably education is very, very crucial because uh, gone are the days of the traditional single single label or single worded uh, work. Uh, or like lawyers, architects, right. or engineer. Now, what they, we call uh, urban software engineer, traffic management consultant, uh, bio, the, uh, what bio, bio food technologies. So it's either two or three words. So big specialization. So we need to teach people, younger people. We need to learn to uh, specialize. The moment that we can specialize, then we know where the nitty-gritty is. That's where the four-feet touch that I was talking about. We cannot be the jack of all trades. We need to be that. And that's where uh, all this combination of the various agencies uh, that will actually help to spur the manpower for the future. You know, uh, digital or rather smart city is already part of a service to a city. You cannot, you cannot forget about it anymore. Mm. It is a service. So what does it mean when it's a service? You need to maintain it at tip-top condition 24-7-365. So how do you do that? So people need to understand, need to, to know, and to need to be taught about, they call, there is, this is what they call uh, simple uh, common sense uh, maintenance. Then there is the mid-level maintenance. There's a higher uh, knowledge level of maintenance. So we need to have that sort of maintenance level uh, society thinking. Then only we can have this uh, sort of uh, 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 smart city being maintained at tip-top. Then we can be at par with the world and we can be, how should I say, good uh, having us, uh, you know, to have a smart city, you must be reliable, you know. Mm. And you must be resilient. COVID has taught us what is resilient and what is reliable. 
if you are not reliable you not uh, work uh, sustainable and also resilient gone you uh, the whole system just break down mm. so that's probably my take so the government the private sector and even educationists and also people at the street level need to be educated and need to be on a know that this is actually coming in a big way Okay. That's my take. Thank you. Thank you, Mustafa. Uh, okay, uh, Joanne, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, are we on the, the right path? I think we shouldn't get too hung up on the word smart. And uh, a lot of countries in the world have been on that journey and have have stopped talking about smart cities because they've understood the broader requirements. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction that the conversation is happening but I think I would encourage the industry and government to be thinking about how are they going to be more integrated going forward, not just across sectors and across silos of government, but also with the private sector. Um, how do we get our politicians to make those hard decisions? How do we help them to mm. make those hard decisions so mm. that we can go in the right direction? Um, what is good design? And the industry really needs to get its act together in terms of good design. When we look outside the window, everybody can see that there's improvements and, and we need to work out how to do that on a mass scale across what, it, what it currently exists. Um, I just want to be able to walk to an MRT station. I couldn't agree with you. Without more. getting wet or drenched in sweat. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, uh, or or uh, taking my life into my own hands because a car or a motorbike is passing me. At the, yep. You know, yeah. simple things. These are fundamental. Fundamental things. Principles. You can't be a smart city if I can't get to use public transportation. <laughs> simple as that. I couldn't agree more. Right. Okay, on that note, we do need to wrap up. I do want to thank my guests, of course. Uh, Mustafa Kamal, he's the urban planner and founder of Architect Mustafa Kamal and Joanne Carmichael, Director of Cities Planning and Design at Arab. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website or at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just search for Enterprise Explores. Uh, I will be back at same time, same place here on Monday on Enterprise Explores here on BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.